Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Alex Kruger, International Managing Editor in London. I'm Ida Volk, Europe Correspondent in Berlin. I'm Emily Tampkin, Senior Editor, U.S. in Washington, D.C. It's Friday, the 25th of February, and you're listening to a special episode of World Review from the New Statesman. War has returned to Europe. Russia has launched a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. How will the war unfold? And what's Putin's endgame? Dear citizens of the Russian Federation, as I said, tonight they started bombing residential areas of the hero city of Kiev. It all reminds me of 1941. To all the citizens of the Russian Federation who come out to protest, I want to say we see you. This means you heard us. This means you begin to trust us. Fight for us. Fight against the war. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky addressing Russians directly. Thank you for joining us. Let's begin. So, Ido, what's the latest? What's happened since last podcast? So Russia has launched a full-scale invasion of Ukraine from about three fronts from the south, from occupied Crimea, going north uh, into eastern Ukraine, from the east, uh, from western Russia and the People's Republics in eastern Ukraine, and from the north, from Belarus towards Kiev. At the time of recording, there were, there's fighting in Kiev. There have been cruise missile attacks on on Ukrainian positions all over the country, not just in the east, not just on Kiev, but also as far as Lviv in the west of the country. There's an assault by by land, by sea, by air. And the Ukrainians are holding out. Today is the second day of the invasion. They seem to be holding out slightly better than perhaps the Russians had hoped, but things seem to be going in, in one direction. This sounds like much more than anything we were expecting just a few days ago. And there was talk that there might be some movement of Russian troops into eastern Ukraine, into the areas held by these two separatist statelets. But this is really covering the whole country, isn't it? This is the absolute worst case scenario that anyone had envisaged. The aim seems to be a decapitation strategy of capturing or or killing the whole of the Ukrainian leadership in Kiev. And so 
the hope seems to be that once that's accomplished, the remaining Ukrainian units will lay down their arms and surrender. But the fact that the assault is taking place across the country from pretty much every front possible indicates that, yeah, this is uh, at the absolute worst, worst end of what had been expected. It doesn't seem to be limited to to just the east, to perhaps just capturing Donetsk and Luhansk blasts. It's not even limited to just central and eastern Ukraine. And so leaving the west alone, and it doesn't seem to be. Attacks are taking place all over the country. It, it had been predicted in, in some circles, but there was a lot of uncertainty about what precisely Russia's military aims were going to be and its strategy. And this is certainly the all-out scenario which had been feared in some quarters. Russia has a huge army, so how have Ukrainian forces responded? So it seems like they're holding out slightly better than the Russians had perhaps hoped. I'm not a military expert by any means, but it seems, for example, in the east, you know, Kharkiv, they're putting up a tough fight. In Kiev, they're, they're certainly putting up a tough fight, but the Russians are definitely advancing. And at the time of recording, there's there's fighting on the outskirts and in, in central Kiev. And if the Russians do capture the political leadership, then, then who knows what happens, really. But occupying a country is a very different business than invading it. Can the Russians hold out if there is resistance from the Ukrainian people? It's a very good question. Loads and loads of people, when they were looking at this over the past few months and saying, Putin do it, pretty much everyone who thought that they knew Ukraine and who thought they knew Russia said they wouldn't do it. I was talking to people in Kiev earlier this week on on Tuesday and they were saying no we won't launch an all-out invasion it's it it was seen as so irrational so impossible that there's no way that Putin who was previously viewed as a unpredictable if rational actor would do it and now he's done it but the fundamental reasons why that was a bad idea which led pretty much everyone apart from the military experts and and in Western intelligence to say they they didn't think it would happen. The reasons why that was a bad idea have not disappeared. It is still the case that if Putin wants to install a Quisling government or occupy the country or, or, or dominate it and force it to be a particular way, he will essentially have to govern a very, an overwhelmingly hostile population with a state which naturally is at the is at present staffed and, and powered by people loyal to Ukraine, which makes sense. And with a, with a population probably f- in large part bent on on um, bent on an insurgency on on an armed insurgency, none of that has gone away. Quite what the end game here is still very unclear. No one can un- can understand what they're trying to do. If the aim is to hold on for, to Ukraine forever, Ukraine cannot be. Ukraine cannot be a government which relies on popular consent and be pro-Russian. And quite how they square that circle, I don't think anyone outside the Kremlin yet knows, and I'm, I'm not sure it's possible. And, and speaking of outside the Kremlin, what about on the streets of Moscow and wider in, in Russia? There have been protests, haven't there? I think there was a much wider response. We actually have a clip of some protests that we can play now. So I think that the response from 
from Russians was more than was expected. And by by the Kremlin, by people who have been watching this, it's wider than what I expected. It was there were reports of hundreds of arrests across tens of cities across the country, because this is something that affects all of Russia. So you have you 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 saw people. You, you basically saw people go out knowing that they could get arrested by going out, having no reason to believe that their leadership would change its mind because of their protests and going out anyway. You had people I saw, this is anecdotal, but a woman I knew in grad school posting on Instagram saying, who's, who's Russian? She's from Petersburg, saying, I've, this is the first time in my life I've ever been ashamed of my country. No to war. You know, you had celebrities who rely heavily on the state coming out and posting on social media against the war at, again, significant personal risk or, or, or at risk to their careers. I think there was this completely surreal moment in which Putin gathered, summoned the oligarchs for a meeting and, and you had the head of the industrial lobbyists say, can you say, can you please not do anything that will further damage our economy? And Putin saying the measures we have taken are necessary. But I think you, you've just seen there's this, this sense of, I think it's two things. Firstly, this idea that Putin just just threw away the country's future and its citizens' future and Russians' future for no real reason. And secondly, this isn't some, I don't mean to suggest that invading a far off land with people you don't know is right. It's not. But this was an invasion of a nearby land with people they do know. People have cousins and friends and schoolmates in Ukraine who are now under attack because of Russia. So I think, I I don't know if what you think to me, the response was, it, it unlike Putin is rational, but it was greater than expected. Yeah, I agree with that. I was speaking to a friend in Moscow and she was out protesting last night. She was talking about dodging police. One of her friends was grabbed, she said, even though he was just there, he wasn't protesting. I mean, her and the people out protesting are risking immense personal personal risks. They can end up with a criminal record and that can affect their careers. They can be sent to prison for years for being at an unauthorised protest. And Yet these are the largest protests since Alexei Navalny was jailed last year. We don't yet know whether there will be a mass anti-war movement in Russia, but as you've said, Ukraine is not some kind of foreign land. And it's not that bombing foreign lands is okay and consequence-free, but it is that even Syria or even Chechnya, they are places where ordinary Russians are unlikely to have been, they're unlikely to have family, they're unlikely to have ties, they don't have religious ties, ethnic ties, family ties. And Ukraine is not that. Ukraine is a country where Russians in large part share a language. They essentially share a church. Tens of millions of Russians were born in Ukraine or have Ukrainian ancestry or have family in Ukraine. They're very likely to have been to cities like Kiev or Kharkiv or Odessa or whatever it is. And is, is, is the Kremlin susceptible to public pressure? I've been speaking to people who say no. Even we talk about the Kremlin, right, but it's not the Kremlin. It's one person. It's Putin. That exercise, that Security Council meeting was an exercise in performative fealty and getting people, getting everyone inside the Kremlin to publicly back something, which many of them clearly did not back. They clearly did not think this was a good idea, that this was worth doing. There's a video of Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov uh, I think in 2018, saying, look, if we invade Ukraine, it's a sign of a mental breakdown. There is no elite consensus for this. He, it's not. I've been talking to people in Moscow, and they say this is beyond all rationality. It's the mind of one man. There is even the Kremlin. There, there are no kind of internal deliberations. It's just what one man thinks. 
Emily, can we turn now to the reaction from the US? Let's hear first what President Joe Biden had to say. Putin's aggression against Ukraine will end up costing Russia dearly, economically and strategically. We will make sure of that. Is this strong enough? Does this go far enough? It's certainly, it's, they are strong sanctions to sanction Russia's banks um, and central banks, its large central banks. Is no mean thing. I think that the the bans on tech exports will, I, I think Biden is right, that will prove significant, but it will take time to hurt. And Ukrainians are being attacked now. Two other things that came up during Biden's press conference yesterday that I did want to raise here. So the first is this idea of why don't you sanction Putin himself? I think while that would be very symbolically striking, I, I do wonder if people who fix it on that think that like, Putin's money is in a bank under the name Vladimir Vladimirovich, right? Like, that's just not how, that's just not how, I, I, I do not know that would actually cause him personal pain in the way that these people are suggesting. Actually, the other thing I think we're going to get to in a bit, so I will hold off a little teaser for you, but I know that there are people who wanted this, who would have liked it stronger, who would have liked to see different oligarch sanctioned. I think part of the issue here is that the United States has made has taken great pains to, to point out that it's taken great pains to cooperate with its European and Asian allies and partners who are not always on the same page in the United States. There were some reports about Germany and Italy yesterday not wanting to go as far as Washington did. I, th- I think there are strong sanctions. On the other hand, you don't want to like pat Western leaders on the back for this because sure, there's strong sanctions and there's still a war going on. There were some reports yesterday that Italy wanted to not have sanctions on the export of luxury goods because Russia is a very large market for for those sort of things that they produce. Exactly. And on the one hand, I don't want to sound like I I do understand that the people will economically hurt in Europe worse than in the United States because of these sanctions. On the other hand, there's been a certain level of reliance on Russian money, some of it dirty, in Europe for years, despite the fact that Russia annexed Crimea in, <laughs> eight years ago, right? there, You have the German former defense minister saying on Twitter yesterday, I'm so angry that we didn't, that after Georgia and after Crimea, that we didn't take greater pains to prepare ourselves. And now you have people saying, well, I think that's a little too far. It's like, what... <laughs> If, if this is not a reason to rethink your relationship with Russian money, what is? I, I definitely agree with that. The only thing is that it's been put to me that this is not the worst it could get from the forces that Putin has at the border, the military analysts, who, by, who are the people you've gotten this the most right. So I think they deserve to be listened to more than they have. But the military analysts say this is this is not, this is by far, this is not close to how much Putin could be moving in. And it, it, this is, and therefore, this is not as bad as it could be. If the Russians are banking on the decapitation strategy working, then that means relatively limited tank battles, artillery battles, airstrikes, whatever. If that doesn't work, then there could be mass a mass invasion with tanks and ground troops and artillery and airstrikes. It's bad now, but it could be worse. And so, the counter argument that's been put to me about these sanctions potentially needing. Europe and some other countries potentially needing to leave themselves a bit of leverage is that we need to now make sure that that the uh, try and push the Russians to not 
take the most brutal uh, approach possible. And I, I'm not saying, I'm not at all saying that there isn't a lot of self-interest in this. If the Italians are talking about luxury goods and, and the Germans are reluctant to cut, to cut them off from SWIFT, I'm not at all saying that there isn't a heavy dose of self-interest there. But there is also that counter-argument that this is not close to as bad as it could be for Ukraine. I think it, from a military standpoint, almost certainly will get worse for Ukraine. And I, I do, with sanctions, it's, are we, are you putting them in place to deter or to, or to punish? So the saying, and I have a piece on this from earlier this week, which now feels like a very long time ago, about the sanctions that were put on after Putin announced that he was recognizing the independence of Luhansk and Donetsk. And basically what people I spoke to for that piece said was, look, you, even if there's only a 5% chance that not making this a fait accompli and just putting on the most stringent sanctions now even if, even if there's a small chance that it's not written in stone, then you want to go with that chance and try to put on sanctions that are not the most brutal to, to try to encourage behavior. At this point, I don't know that we can say that sanctions diplomacy has worked to change Russian behavior. And so the counter argument, I think, would be, yes, it can get worse. But also, uh, at this point, we should not think that sanctions are going to deter. I think we'll we'll see. NATO is reinforcing its eastern flank. In terms of things getting worse, is there any chance that the conflict could spill over Ukraine's borders? Obviously, we hope not. But yes, there is a chance. Biden said yesterday that he thinks that Putin's goal is not to just take back Ukraine, but to recreate the Soviet Union. I've seen people say it's actually more apt to say the Russian Empire, which, sure. I think what Biden made clear yesterday was that for him, the red line is NATO territory. So... The United States will not be sending troops to Ukraine. However, it will it will defend NATO countries, which obviously includes Poland and the Baltic states. Slovakia, Rom- Romania, that whole exactly. border. So in which case we're in quite, quite scary territory. We are already in scary territory, but this would be, that's an all out world war. Wherever you are in the world, if you're interested in global affairs, you can subscribe to The New Statesman in digital, in print, or both, from as little as £1 a week. That's 12 weeks for just £12. That's €1 a week in Europe and just $2 a week in America. Just go to www.newstatesman.com slash podcast offer. From the New Statesman World Review comes France Elects, a special podcast series exploring the main candidates and the big issues shaping the campaign to be France's next president. I'm Ido Vok, and over the next two months, I'll be joined by special guests to dissect incumbent Emmanuel Macron's record, his rivals to the right and left, and key issues such as foreign policy and the climate. Just search World Review on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. And now in You Ask Us, a listener asks what would be the impact of throwing Russia out of the swift global interbank payments network? Would it drive Russia into China's arms? And how bad would that be? Basically, SWIFT is the global interbank payment system. And so cutting Russia off from SWIFT would basically mean that Russia is cut off from from many international financial transactions. Biden yesterday tried to make the case that the actions that we have taken, sanctioning large Russian banks, for example, that that, that, that is actually a worse punishment than SWIFT. But the reality remains that the is that, according to reports, and actually not according to reports because German Chancellor Olaf Scholz came out and said it, part of the the, the reason that, that Russia is, at time of recording, not cut off from SWIFT is that... Um, is that there was pushback from European partners. Would it drive Russia into China's arms? All of these sanctions, all, all of this is going to push Russia into China's arms. Would that be bad? Yes, it would. But so is Russia attacking Ukraine. You know, And I know that there are... So if one speaks to Indian foreign policymakers of a certain sort of a certain mindset, they will say that over the past eight years, Russia became closer to China because the US sanctioned Russia in 2014. Now, those sanctions were because Russia annexed Crimea, but yes, that is part of what happened. We don't know exactly how China and how India are going to respond to this. What uh, China has started making noises that, oh, we we understand Russia's legitimate security concerns. India, which has to date walked a fine line between partnering with Russia and partnering with the United States, I think is going to find itself. I'm not sure how much longer that line is now going to be able to be walked. But so basically, that's the answer. It would have a dramatic impact. Yes, it would probably push Russia even closer to China. But I don't know that Russia, that Putin is particularly interested in moving closer to the West anytime soon. Thanks, Emily. Thanks, Ido. On Monday, we'll have an interview with Russia expert Mark Galeotti. You've been listening to a special edition of the World Review podcast with me, Alex Kruger, and my colleagues, Emily Tamkin and Ido Volk. Our producer is Adrian Bradley. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like, rate, review or subscribe to World Review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. 
flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together, we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.